Hello, friends. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide Podcast. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and it is my special joy to be with you on our scripture reading journey today as we make our way further into the 23rd book of the Old Testament, the prophecies of Isaiah. We'll be starting a new book in the New Testament today, Paul's letter to the Galatians. It is September 14th, and it happens to be the birthday of our second son, Benjamin McAdam, who is with me today, and he will be reading Psalm 58 later in the podcast. As we learned in chapter 6, Isaiah had an up-close and personal encounter with God's holiness, and it is God's standard of holiness that is the plumb line by which all the nations of the earth will be judged. Isaiah has received a prophetic burden to pronounce nine oracles of judgment against the nations. These nations were world players in Isaiah's day. We read the prophecies of judgment concerning the nation of Babylon in chapter 13 through chapter 14, verse 23, the nation of Assyria in chapter 14, verses 24 through 27, the Philistines in chapter 14, verses 28 through 32, and now we are in chapter 15 where we will be reading the prophecies concerning Moab. Isaiah predicts that these prophecies will come to pass within three years. And this, as far as we can tell, is what happened. We will also be given another glimpse of the righteous rule of the Messiah, as we have seen already. So wait for it. It's coming up in chapter 16, verse 5. A throne will even be established in loving kindness, and a judge will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of David. Moreover, he will seek justice and be prompt in righteousness. So let's get started with our first stop on our Bible reading tour today, the book of Isaiah, chapter 15 and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Isaiah chapter 15, an oracle concerning Moab. Because Ar of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. Because Ker of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. He has gone up to the temple and to Dibon, to the high places to weep. Over Nebo and over Medeba, Moab wails. On every head is baldness, every beard is shorn. In the streets they wear sackcloth, on the housetops and in the squares. Everyone wails and melts in tears. Heshbon and Eliale cry out. Their voice is heard as far as Jahaz. Therefore the armed men of Moab cry aloud. His soul trembles. My heart cries out for Moab. Her fugitives flee to Zoar, to Eglath Shilishia. For at the ascent of Luhith they go up weeping. On the road to Horonaim, they raise a cry of destruction. The waters of Nimrim are a desolation. The grass is withered, the vegetation fails, the greenery is no more. Therefore, the abundance they have gained and what they have laid up they carry away over the brook of the willows. For a cry has gone around the land of Moab. Her wailing reaches to Eglaim. Her wailing reaches to Be'er Elam. For the waters of Dibon are full of blood, for I will bring upon Dibon even more, a lion for those of Moab who escape for the remnant of the land. Chapter 16. Send the lamb to the ruler of the land, from Selah, by way of the desert, to the mount of the daughter of Zion. Like fleeing birds, like a scattered nest, so are the daughters of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. Give counsel, grant justice, make your shade like night at the height of noon, Shelter the outcasts, 
Do not reveal the fugitive. Let the outcasts of Moab sojourn among you. Be a shelter to them from the destroyer. When the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased, and he who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land, then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. We have heard of the pride of Moab, how proud he is, of his arrogance, his pride, and his insolence. In his idle boasting, he is not right. Therefore, let Moab wail for Moab, let everyone wail. Mourn, utterly stricken, for the raisin cakes of Kir Hareseth. For the fields of Heshbon languish, and the vine of Sibma. The Lord of the nations have struck down its branches, which reached to Jazer, and strayed to the desert. Its shoots spread abroad, and passed over the sea. Therefore I weep with the weeping of Jazer, for the vine of Sibma. I drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and Alila, for over your summer fruit and your harvest the shout has ceased, and joy and gladness are taken away from the fruitful field, and in the vineyards no songs are sung, no cheers are raised, no treader treads out wine in the presses. I have put an end to the shouting. Therefore my inner parts moan like a lyre for Moab, and my inmost self for Kir Hareseth. And when Moab presents himself, when he wearies himself on the high place, when he comes to his sanctuary to pray, he will not prevail. This is the word that the Lord spoke concerning Moab in the past. But now the Lord has spoken, saying, In three years, like the years of a hired worker, the glory of Moab will be brought into contempt, in spite of all his great multitude, and those who remain will be very few and feeble. Chapter 17 an oracle concerning Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease to be a city and will become a heap of ruins. The cities of Aroer are deserted. They will be for flocks which lie down, and none will make them afraid. The fortress will disappear from Ephraim and the kingdom from Damascus, and the remnant of Syria will be like the glory of the children of Israel, declares the Lord of hosts. And in that day the glory of Jacob will be brought low, and the fat of his flesh will grow lean. And it shall be as when the reaper gathers standing grain, and his arm harvests the ears, and as when one gleans the ears of grain in the valley of Rephaim. Gleanings will be left in it, as when an olive tree is beaten, two or three berries in the top of the highest bough, four or five on the branches of a fruit tree, declares the Lord God of Israel. In that day... Man will look to his Maker, and his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, the work of his hands, and he will not look on what his own fingers have made, either the Asherim or the altars of incense. In that day their strong cities will be like the deserted places of the wooded heights and the hilltops, which they deserted because of the children of Israel, and there will be desolation. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation, and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore, though you plant pleasant plants, and sow the vine branch of a stranger, though you make them grow on the day that you plant them, and make them blossom in the morning that you sow, yet the harvest will flee away in a day of grief and incurable pain. Ah, the thunder of many peoples! They thunder like the thundering of the sea. Ah, the roar of nations! They roar like the roaring of mighty waters. The nations roar like the roaring of many waters, 
but he will rebuke them, and they will flee far away, chased like chaff on the mountains before the wind and whirling dust before the storm. At evening time, behold terror. Before morning, they are no more. This is the portion of those who loot us and the lot of those who plunder us. Chapter 18 An Oracle Concerning Cush Ah, land of whirring wings that is beyond the rivers of Cush, which sends ambassadors by the sea in vessels of papyrus on the waters. Go, you swift messengers, to a nation tall and smooth, to a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide. All you inhabitants of the world who dwell on the earth, when a signal is raised on the mountains, look. When a trumpet is blown, hear. For thus the Lord said to me, I will quietly look from my dwelling like clear heat in sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. For before the harvest, when the blossom is over and the flower becomes a ripening grape, he cuts off the shoots with pruning hooks, and the spreading branches he lops off and clears away. They shall all of them be left to the birds of prey of the mountains and to the beasts of the earth. And the birds of prey will summer on them, and all the beasts of the earth will winter on them. At that time tribute will be brought to the Lord of hosts, from a people tall and smooth, from a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide, to Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord of hosts. And this concludes today's reading from the Old Testament, from the prophecies of Isaiah. In chapters 15 and 16, Isaiah pronounces his prophecy against Moab. A prophecy is sometimes called an oracle or burden. Moabites were descendants of Moab, the son born through Lot's incestuous relationship with his daughter, in Genesis chapter 19, verse 37. Though Moabites consistently proved to be enemies of Israel, you may remember that their king, Balak, hired the prophet Balaam to curse Israel when the nation passed through their lands on their journey to Canaan, in Numbers chapter 21 through 25. The people of Israel were seduced by Moabite women into their practice of sexual immorality and idolatry. The Moabites worshipped false deities and offered their children as sacrifices on altars to Chemosh. Moses views the promised land and dies on Mount Nebo, the peak of Mount Pisgah, in the territory east of the Jordan River and the Dead Sea, in Deuteronomy chapter 34. This is the country of Jordan today. We remember in the book of Ruth how an Israelite from Bethlehem, Bethlehem, house of bread, named Elimelech, literally, God is my king, abandoned faith in Yahweh in a time of famine and moved to Moab in an attempt to save his family. His sons, Malon and Kilion, meaning sickness and pining away, took Moabite wives there, Ruth and Orpah. During a period of ten years in Moab, Elimelech and his two sons died, leaving his wife, Naomi, and his daughters-in-law as widows. Ruth cleaves to Naomi and her faith, returning to Israel, where they are shown the mercy of God's law, a provision of redemption from their destitute state, as they meet their kinsman redeemer, Boaz. The redeemer marries Ruth and, by the law of leveret marriage, restores the household name of Elimelech, God is my king, through the birth of a son, the grandfather of King David, Obed. So David was part Moabite. When he is pursued by King Saul, he sent his father Jesse and his mother there to stay with relatives 
in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 3 and 4. Isaiah pronounces God's judgment on the cities of Moab going from the north to the south. The Lord does not take delight in executing judgment. He does not delight in the punishment of the wicked. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. My heart cries out for Moab. His fugitives are as far as Zoar and Eglath Shalishia, for they go up the ascent of Luhith weeping. Surely on the road of Horonaim they raise a cry of distress over their ruin. Isaiah chapter 15, verse 5. Nevertheless, judgment is warranted. According to the prophet, Assyria will judge Moab swiftly in a night. Chapter 15, verse 1. The oracle concerning Moab, surely in a night, Ar of Moab is devastated and ruined. Surely in a night, Kir of Moab is devastated and ruined. Kir means city, and so Kir of Moab probably refers to Kir Hariseth, city of potters, which was Moab's capital city, modern-day Kerak, eleven miles east of the Dead Sea. The listing of cities includes Dibon, which most likely was the location of a temple dedicated to Chemosh. Nebo is in the region of Mount Nebo. Much bloodshed is promised in chapter 15, verse 9. The inhabitants of the cities would be taken captives and suffer humiliation, and there will be great mourning. Every head is shaved and beard is cut off, and in the public square they will wear sackcloth, in verses 2 and 3. The prophet describes the judgment as people eating the fruit of their accumulated sins. Yet Isaiah extends an offering for mercy through a lamb to be sacrificed on the altar in Jerusalem. Send the tribute lamb to the ruler of the land, from Selah by the way of the wilderness to the mountain of the daughter of Zion. Isaiah chapter 16, verse 1. God offers peace and reconciliation to the Gentile nations through faith in the promise of the Messiah. May the outcasts of Moab find shelter from the destroyer through faith in him. In verse 4, then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. Isaiah 16:5. When Christ returns, the tabernacle of David will be restored, and Messiah will judge the nations. James refers to the tabernacle of David and the messianic promise when he hears the reports of Gentiles coming to faith in Christ in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15, verse 16. After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. The reason for the severe judgment is found in verse 6. We have heard of the pride of Moab, how proud he is, of his arrogance, his pride, and his insolence. In his idle boasting, he is not right. God would have mercy, but Moab refuses his offer, trusting in their own brand of righteousness. The timeline for judgment for the local and immediate prophecy is specific. This is the word that the Lord spoke concerning Moab in the past. But now the Lord has spoken, saying, In three years, like the years of a hired worker, the glory of Moab will be brought into contempt, in spite of all his great multitude, and those who remain will be very few and feeble. Isaiah chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Bible scholars have noted that God uses a timeline in His prophecies with Israel and the nations, but never with the church. For example, no man knows the day or the hour 
in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Mark chapter 13, verse 32, Acts chapter 1, verse 7. Within three years, God used Assyria as his instrument to bring judgment on Moab. Chapter 17 is a prophecy against Damascus, that is Syria. Damascus was one of the oldest cities in the world and the leading city of Syria. Damascus is used as a name for both the city and the nation in this prophecy. Ephraim is the name of a tribe of Israel, the name of a city, a mountain, and a man. The name Ephraim is often used in Scripture as a name for the ten northern tribes of Israel, particularly in its apostate state. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 16, Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Because of the confederacy between Israel and Syria, Isaiah prophesies how both nations will come under judgment. These nations joined in warring against the southern kingdom of Judah. Partners in crime are often partners in judgment. In Isaiah chapter 17, verse 1, we read, An oracle concerning Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease to be a city and will become a heap of ruins. Some critics take issue with this prophecy, saying Damascus has remained to be a city. There are a number of considerations. Remember that there are local and immediate applications to many of these prophecies, and there are distant and future applications. In the immediate and local application, the original city could have been destroyed and rebuilt. There are ruins of ancient cities in the area of Damascus today. In our lifetime, we have seen how Damascus has continually withstood the onslaught and destruction of wars. Another important consideration is that according to the Bible, there are future judgments coming upon the nations in the Great Tribulation, and this prophecy could be pointing to this also. Sometimes there is an earlier partial fulfillment before an ultimate complete fulfillment. The northern kingdom of Israel was indeed brought low as the ten tribes were besieged by Tiglath-Pileser in 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 29, and finally deported by the Assyrian Shalmaneser in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 6. This is what the Lord said to Israel, that is, Ephraim. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore, you plant delightful plants and set them with vine slips of a strange God. Isaiah chapter 17, verse 10. The Lord's people need to be purged of their idolatries. They had been worshiping at the altars of Baal and constructing Asherah poles dedicated to the fertility goddess Asherah, the consort of El, the chief Canaanite god, in chapter 17, verse 8. In chapter 18, Isaiah delivers the fifth oracle, or burden, against Cush, or Nubia, which was south of Egypt. It was also called Ethiopia, but is not to be confused with Ethiopia today. Its northern limit was at the first cataract of the Nile, and its southern border was at the sixth cataract. It was known for its precious minerals and great wealth. The Egyptian name Nubia may come from the word Nub, that means gold. Whereas earlier judgments are described as being sudden in one night, in verse 1 of chapter 15, or like a violent storm, in chapter 17, verses 12 through 14, the Lord speaks to Isaiah and tells him that judgment comes in different degrees of ferocity. For thus the Lord said to me, 
I will quietly look from my dwelling like clear heat in sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. In Isaiah chapter 18, verse 4, They shall all of them be left to the birds of prey of the mountains and to the beasts of the field. And the birds of prey will summer on them, and all the beasts of the earth will winter on them. Isaiah chapter 18, verse 6. Isaiah is told that there is a time coming when the kingdom of God will be established, and the inhabitants of Cush will come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, and will be born of the Spirit. In Psalm 87, verse 4. And in Isaiah chapter 18, verse 7, we read, At that time tribute will be brought to the Lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth, from a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide, to Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord of hosts. Now let's go to the New Testament reading from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 24. Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. And this concludes our reading from today's New Testament portion from the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians. 
You can tell by the tone of this letter that Paul is irritated by how quickly the Christians of Galatia bought into the bondage-producing religious distortions of the legalistic Judaizers. These false teachers were insistent that it was necessary to externally conform to the ordinances of Judaism if you were a true follower of Jesus. After all, Israel had the privileges of God's instruction in the law and the prophets. Rather than seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of the law and seeing that the law's purpose was to prepare the context for Jesus' work of redemption, they saw that the law was an end in itself. They believed in salvation by law-keeping. The evidence of people buying into that religious system would be for the men to adopt the custom of the initiatory rite of circumcision. To this Paul says, nonsense. How does Paul know? His conviction was birthed by the revelation of Jesus Christ and consistent with the teaching of Scripture. He starts his letter out with a summary. The rescue that the law of God proved that we needed was provided fully by Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory for ever and ever. Amen. Then Paul goes for the jugular. He is no longer playing Mr. Nice Guy. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. How easily and how often the gospel is distorted today. False teachers propose alternative ways to spirituality. They propose new ways to achieve intimacy with God. They advocate communion with positive forces and practices that attract health, wealth, success, and the realization of your desired destiny. Paul makes it clear there are not many Gospels. There is no other Gospel than the one preached, the Apostles' Doctrine, the New Testament revelation of the Gospel of God's glorious plan of salvation through penitent faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Paul's language is very strong. He basically says, if anyone preaches another gospel, let them be eternally condemned, in verse 9. Let them bear the penalty, in verse 10, and be castrated to boot, in verse 12. Jesus pronounced similar judgments. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. Paul is not a man-pleaser, nor can we afford to cater to those who insist that they can be saved by their maintaining their own favorite brand of self-justifying righteousness. In verses 11 through 24, Paul gives his powerful testimony of how he was once a self-righteous Pharisee persecuting the church, subscribing to the false doctrine of self-justification through attempts at external conformity to the law. He was converted by the revelation of who God truly is and what He has done through the person of His Son. Paul, once known as Saul of Tarsus, met the crucified, risen, glorified Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. Paul did not make up this gospel, nor did he get it from any other man. He received it directly from Jesus Christ. His understanding of the gospel of God's saving grace was confirmed by the Apostle Peter, when he went up to Jerusalem three years later. He had already been preaching Christ in the synagogues in Syria. He also met with Jesus' half-brother James in chapter 1, verse 19. Saul's conversion was a God-glorifying wonder to those who met him.
And now we move on to our next stop in our Bible reading tour, the Book of Psalms, the Bible's prayer and song book. And reading on his birthday is our son, Ben McAdam. Psalm 58. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No, in your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear, so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, Surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Thank you, Ben. The old sin nature is well described in verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. The psalmist seeks God avenging him of his enemies. But we can read this psalm and rejoice that he has judged our wickedness on the cross. There the wicked receives due punishment. Those who believe the gospel are made righteous by embracing the crucified Lord of life. They receive the gracious reward of His worthy sacrifice. Mankind will say, Surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Psalm 58, verse 11. This is the truth that is put on display in the cross of Christ. Jesus earned the reward of righteousness and then offers it to those who put their trust in Him. He satisfies justice on their behalf. If we do not turn to Christ, we stand justly condemned by God's holy law. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. And for our final stop on our Bible reading tour, we go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 12. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to word of knowledge. This means that we listen carefully to what we are being taught with the intention to put what we learn into practice. Now let's pray. We thank you, God of grace, that mercy has triumphed over judgment for those who bow at the foot of the cross. We are grateful that by this new and living way you provided through the gospel, we can enter the holiest of all by the blood of the worthy Lamb, Christ our Passover. He is all our righteousness, and we stand in Him complete. Give us a fresh appreciation of the gospel and a firm resolve to be able to stand fast in its liberty. Give us wisdom, clarity, and boldness to declare it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for pressing on in your Bible reading with us, and we will be learning much more about the grace of God as we read the rest of Paul's letter to the Galatians, continuing tomorrow. If this podcast is a blessing to you and you'd like to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries and how you can be a part of our support team, you can go to our website, newlife.org. You can also subscribe there to a daily email transcript of each day's commentary on 
the one-year Bible reading. A daily intake of God's Word can be life-transforming. So if you are blessed, subscribe to this podcast and encourage others to join you in your Bible reading adventure. So until next time, may the God of all grace bless you with an appreciation for all that Christ has won for you freely to receive by faith. Shalom.